If you're still on the hunt for a sports book to call home, bet the nonstop action of March Madness with MyBookie. Enter bracket contests for a chance to take home prizes of up to $25,000 or pick from a huge selection of straight bets, props, and odds boosts. Whatever your style, MyBookie makes it easy to play your way and get paid. Sign up now and take advantage of our generous welcome offer to score a massive first deposit bonus of up to $1,000. All you have to do is claim promo code MADNESS50. But the fun doesn't stop there. Get up to the minute odds, free bets, and expert predictions to help you decide who to put your money on. The best part about MyBookie? You can bet on anything, anytime, from anywhere. Use promo code MADNESS50, that's MADNESS50, to secure your limited-time welcome bonus today. Good afternoon and welcome, everybody. This would be the Jeff Cameron Show right here on 93.3 Real Talk Radio and War Chant TV. It is my great pleasure to be with you. Appreciate you joining us. I'm Jeff, that's Tom, Director Matthew, floating about on Twitter at that J. Cameron Show. Hope you had a great weekend, busy weekend, fun weekend. And more days closer to the start of college football, right? Yeah. But when they're occupied like this one was, with a major being won by a former Seminole in Brooks Kepka, a perfect game being thrown in softball so that the Knowles move on and uh, not suffer the same fate as they did a year ago. Even the baseball team got in the act and had a little fun this week and went in two out of three on the road. Oddly, oddly, I believe it's all a very good sign in addition to hearing that James Tibbs, their best player, is coming back. Uh, some things that uh, to, to maybe build upon. It's been a, a bit of a tough year, tough year. But uh, they fought all the way to the end. That they did do, and that's a good sign that they've bought into what the coaches are selling. And so that's all you can say. You can't say much more than that other than they fought – you know, even going back to that win against Wake Forest and then getting this series win on the road to end the year, it does show you that there was something there late. And I would argue that there were also indicators that had they just had their best pitcher this year, they would be in the postseason. They're not they're not a good team, but they would be in the postseason. Yeah, it could be. You know, there's a whole, whole lot more mortar than there are bricks yeah. right now. Yeah. But uh, they'll get there. Yeah. But Softball team won and in, a, in an all-time great moment. And, and if you think to yourself, like – if you're a if you're a four state athlete, if you're if you're a player, to do something like that in that moment, to throw a perfect game, and it's not like you threw a perfect game and it was nine to nothing. It's a perfect game and it's one to nothing. You, the, like you had to kind of throw a perfect game. We had <laughs> one run in us all day. Yeah, and it's a good thing we used it in game two against South Carolina. Good thing. I will tell you, man, it, it's weird to watch that team because we know how good they are and how consistently great they are. But, you know, a year ago, that was as bitter a disappointment as you could possibly expect to see. And they were that close to having it happen again. Well, Kat said after throwing the perfect game on ACC Network that it was part of the math. That You know, they were thinking about it. She was thinking about it. And if this was the final time that she was going to don the uniform, that it, it was going to go down, you know, she was going to go down with everything she had. Yeah. So that tells me that it permeated the clubhouse. What was interesting, though, is that also in that interview on ACC Network, Kat said that this team dealt with it completely differently. They, they knew the stakes, but there wasn't a sense of dread. I'm, now I'm implying. But there wasn't a sense of dread about the second game. It was, all right, let's go take care of business now. And I wonder if that's just the mental hurdle that needed to be cleared. Because once you shank a drive and you're up next, you know, in the next hole and you got to hit the same shot, it's a little tougher after the shank. You got to try and clear the mechanism. Maybe this was that. 
for this program. Now they host Georgia, and you know if you can roll on Big River, get to Oklahoma City, that's all that you needed to do was get over that Sunday in the regional and don't fall by the wayside the way you did against Auburn the year prior. You know, I think it's different with every team, and that's the hard part because you know you you it's every season is unto itself. You have people that come and go. You get kids that graduate and the like, and so not every team is the same. We know that. And I suppose that, you know, you learn from last year. It's a bitter disappointment. We remember the Lonnie Alameda press conference last year, and it was hard for us to fathom that it happened because they had been so good. And it, they weren't apt to that sort of thing. They didn't have a history of choking in the postseason. They had a history of excelling, exceeding, winning championship, you know, that kind of a thing. And so when you saw it happen, you were, you were kind of surprised. But you thought, okay, a hiccup, bump in the road. You know, it can happen. It's a fickle sport. Basketball sports tend to be fickle that way. So you kind of think to yourself, all right, but then when this happened, where you're up against it now, I agree with you that I'm sure the mentality was great, but by about the fourth inning, I don't know that you're, you're, you're so free and clear to play. I think you're now beginning to get concerned. That you're, you're at a place now where it's kind of like, all right, man, there's three innings left in our seat. Like, yeah, get, right. <laughs> I'm sure that permeated the air at the facility. You could feel it, you right? Know? You had yeah, to be able to could, feel that. You could feel it through the TV. And this is one of the singularly great performances in Florida State Athletics history. Yeah, it's a great it just thing. is. Awesome. I mean, for the softball program, I think the play by Jesse Warren in Oklahoma City might be the biggest moment in the program's history. Certainly the greatest highlight. This might be the biggest performance, single performance. You know, I know it's only a regional. They're not in the Supers. This right. is not out right. at the College World Series. I get that. But it is, like you said, it's one to nothing. Not yeah. one ball left the infield. Not a single ball left the infield for seven innings. In an era of softball where they can hit the ball, yeah. this is not drag bunts and yeah. moving runners over. This is power-laden stuff, and South Carolina did produce four runs earlier, a couple hours before. Yeah, Not one ball out of the infield when you absolutely had to have it. Unbelievable. Final ground ball to second, or you sit there going, now come on. Yeah, you, make the play. You're like, it's, it's such a simple play, and yet you watch it in slow motion because you know that it doesn't feel simple. It doesn't feel simple to the person who has to execute that play. I've often wondered, this is funny, I've done this. Anytime I've watched a no-hitter, anytime I've, you know, whether, you know, I've been lucky enough to see one uh, at at Hauser, but to to either watch it on TV or, in this case, a perfect game, which is even more, I've always thought, do fielders of any kind, I I suppose outfielders, maybe if it's a pop-up, it's pretty easy, but... Do infielders in particular on a on a hard hit ball, on a ground ball, or prior to the pitch, do you want the ball to be hit to you? Because it's not the play with the glove, unless it's a hot shot. It's the throw. You got time. You know, now it's much harder, I would think, to make that throw from third. <laughs> Making it sure. from second, I mean, it's well, kind of hard to screw that up. Especially in this sport. Correct. Yeah. But one of the things that I've always noticed is that the players handle it differently. They're all different. Some guys you've watched, they'll double pat like they're relishing the moment and then let one go. Others, get it out of my hand. I don't want to think. This is routine. Yeah. I've made this play a million times. I'm not going to sit here and think about it. I, I I just don't know what I would do in that situation. Well, I can tell you it's edge of your seat stuff for a perfect game. If it's a no-hitter and I see that it's going to be a play or an error, I sigh a relief before the play is even made. Right, right. If it's a no-hitter, there's two walks, a hit batsman, you know, whatever, and it's a ground ball to short, but we're squared up, ball's coming right to the shortstop, yeah, yeah. the no-hitter's not in trouble in that moment. You right. already know. Worst case scenario, we got an error. Runner on first. We can We can get around this, but with a perfect game, oh, buddy. 
Yeah, no, it's everything. Pick it up. Make the throw. It's it's amazing. Um, so there it is. Congratulations. That's a, it's an amazing moment. And then, again, Brooks Kepka winning a fifth major. You know, I think back to a couple things. And one of them is I remember, and I've been very, very fortunate. I got to do a show for, for seven years with Trey Jones, uh, Beyond the Tips on SiriusXM. And in that time, I learned so much from him. And by the way, good luck to the women and the men for the national championships in golf. Uh, they're underway. The women are. Um, Florida State was in fifth as a team at tee time today, and we will see. That gets you into the match play. Gets you you in the match play, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is also television, which I like when, when our Noles awesome. are on TV. Yeah, absolutely. And Golf Channel's really come a long way in the way they cover it. It's outstanding. They, they usually have today as well, so yeah. you get to go home and you can watch them this watch evening, I believe. Yeah. yeah. So what I learned, though, you know, I, I thought back on this, uh, watching Brooks uh, once again rise to the moment and win a fifth major. Uh, it puts him in rarefied air. We can have conversations about that. But the truth is, what I really thought about more than anything else was his time all those years ago on the Challenge Tour and then later the European Tour. And then, you know, I mean, like, it's it's forgotten about now because he's been so successful, obviously, first at with the PGA and then now with Liv, that he had to go through kind of a, a hellish run there uh, for a few years in the challenge tour, he, um, you know, he referenced it last night and talked about the places he got to go. But this was a guy that was uh, a three-time All-American at Florida State University. So it wasn't like he wasn't a great player in college. He was. Somebody said that yesterday, too. Yeah. I he wasn't a great player in college. Yeah, no, he was a great player in college. Yeah. Yeah, he was a, he was a great player in college. Kind of. Well, but the problem is there have been some performances in college, Phil Mickelson, for example, Ricky Fowler, for example, John Rahm, for example, where guys win national championships and individual awards and all that. He didn't do that. But he was a three-time All-American, so he had a good college career. And that said, I'm sure, and based on what I've learned over the years, he thought he would go, and he's brimming with confidence, obviously, he thought he'd go and have it easy, that it would be uh, sort of seamless to make his way onto the PGA Tour have success, and be off with his career. And it turned out not to be the case, to the point where, obviously, the route he had to go was a tough one. And I know, I learned this too, that he hated it at first. He was lonely. Um, some of the locations where he had to play, uh, the weather was awful compared to where he grew up. He, you know, he, He's from South Florida, so he's, he's, he's lived in perfect conditions or warm conditions. He was in places where it was cold and rainy. It was difficult, and you didn't know anybody. You didn't have any friends over there. You know, when you're playing, let's say, in Europe, uh, and you're playing consistently over there, your family is in the States. They're not coming over every weekend to watch you play. They're not. So you're by yourself. And he was a lot by himself, and, and there, were, there was a moment in time where he reached a crossroads where he was thinking about maybe screw this because he's never loved golf which is this kind of the thing, right? He doesn't love it. He loves the competition. He doesn't love golf. So it's sort of like, oh, what am I doing? What am I doing out here? Yeah, it's cool. I'm getting to see places I wouldn't see otherwise, but, you know, I, I don't love this. It's 52 degrees and raining outside. I got to go. I'm 10 shots off the lead. I, I don't know anybody. I can't go see the next place, the, the town, because I got to leave once I miss this cut to go to the next place. You know what I mean? Like, that. that's tough. And he got a couple of people in his life that said, you don't understand. 
You're immensely talented. You're going to kick yourself if you walk away from this without truly giving everything you had to make it work. And that was enough for him to stick with it. Good thing he did. Good thing he did, because the next thing you know, he broke through. And he started to have some success, which got him invites into more prestigious tournaments, which gave him an avenue by which to go to the PGA Tour. And the rest is history. He's now a five-time major champion. He joins the likes of Byron Nelson and Seve Ballesteros. So now here you are on this esteemed list, right? Three Wanamaker trophies. And it's interesting to watch the path of these guys. It's not always easy. Sometimes it is. Sometimes they are, you know, prodigies that make their way in and they were can't miss products. Tiger Woods did something that very few people ever do, which is have the weight of the world on his shoulders, an incredible college career, an expectation that he was going to be the best golfer in the world and soon, and then did all of those things like that, just like LeBron James did. But it's very rare. Most people don't do that, and that includes Brooks Koepka. Didn't even come close to doing that. And now here he sits. And I think the great lament that I have is that had he never been hurt, had he not gone through those injuries, I do not believe, and you can hear it in his voice in his post-round interviews, I don't think he would have ever joined Liv. I believe that he doesn't. He didn't think that he was ever going to get back to form. And he thought, this is a money grab, an opportunity to make more money than I could ever make because I'm not so sure I'm going to win tournaments anymore on this tour because I, I'm hurt. I'm hurt. And I just wish it's hard in the moment. Who knows? We've had these debates. You know where I stand on Liv. But in his case personally, I do think that had he had somebody there to say, no, 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 this it's going to work. You just got to take some time off. We got to have these surgeries. You got to get right. When you're right, you're still one of the best in the world. But you're not right. You're not right right now. And it's frustrating as hell. You're not a patient guy. You don't love the game. So you're not sitting around watching golf. You're not sitting around hanging around people who are golfing. You're out of the community. It's like when a football player gets hurt and he can't really be at practice, and he can't contribute to what the team's doing. A lot of times he doesn't feel like he's even part of what they're doing. It's really hard. doesn't want to be there. And you'll hear people say, well, why wasn't so-and-so on the sideline? Because he doesn't feel like he can lead, doesn't feel like he can aid the endeavor, doesn't feel like he's really part of anything. He just wants to get healthy so that he can get back out there and be respected for his game. And I think that's where Brooks was. I think it's kind of a surprise in his mind and maybe his team's mind that he got all the way back He's most definitely all the way back. He said now, look, I'm all the way back. I'm playing great golf. I've been playing great golf for several months now. I feel it. Obviously, the runner-up at the Masters indicated that he was in a good spot. And here you saw the guy that is unafraid, is just unafraid around every turn uh, to make a go of it. And it's, it's good for major championship golf to have the best players in the world competing against each other. I have to admit, as a, as a spectator, seeing that is real high drama. This PGA Championship could not have gone any better. Because I think there was a storyline for everybody. You had that drama. You had the drama of, uh, you know, Michael Block, which is crazy to think about. I mean, who gets to see that? It's an everyman, a dude you belly up to the bar with and have a beer after a round of golf and talk about the one you missed on 13 and the, you know, the two you made on four. He's that guy. And quite literally in Mission Viejo, they're showing the bar where he goes to drink and all the people are celebrating the hole-in-one. That's a very nice clubhouse. Oh, yeah, it's a good place. But, like, watching Justin Rose take care of him, you know, and I, I think it was important that he got paired with Justin Rose on Saturday. Justin is, and I'm fortunate enough to have met Justin, I can tell you firsthand, one of the nicest people you'll ever meet. Not friends with Justin Rose, not trying to pretend I'm friends with Justin Rose, but I met him, he had no reason to talk to me, and we talked for 25 minutes, and he was the nicest guy in the world. 
So you have this guy that would shepherd you, that would tell you, good shot. You know, kind of a lot of guys out there do not do that. They aren't the nicest of competitors. So he got the right guy on Saturday, and then Rory is considered one of the great guys on the tour, and he too was very complimentary and celebrating his great shots and giving him hugs. So he took advantage of that. But to hit that chip on 18, where you're trying to finish in the top 15 so that you're exempt for next year's PGA Championship, this is the story that bad movies are made of, where you go, okay, 10 cup, really? But it happened. He did it. He did hit the chip, and he did make the putt, and he is exempt for next year. He does get to go to the PGA Championship next season at Valhalla. Bad movies also have a clincher that when he walks off and they say, you did it, you qualified. I had no idea. He literally had no idea. Yes. He didn't know what the stakes were of getting up and down. He said, there's no way I get up and down in that moment if I it's know what's on the line. It's a good thing he didn't right, know. Right, right. Because that's an amazing chip. It is. It's one in a hundred, maybe more. And he hit it. Because it has to die on the rough or the fringe in order to crawl like it did. Yeah. Oh, I know. It's it's rather remarkable. So this thing had everything that you could want. You had Scheffler charging back up the leaderboard as well. You have, uh, you know, so many players whose names are are certainly well known in the uh, golf world. So we we got a lucky one this weekend. We got a good one this weekend. It's just another chapter. Had another one. You know, there's a list of golfers that Brooks has gone toe to toe with, and he's been mentally tougher than, or outlasted, or whatever you want to call it. Outlast, I think, is a good way to describe. You know, Brooks and the way he wins majors because he likes the U.S. Open setup more than he does like the PGA Championship setup traditionally. Now, the PGA has decided that they're going to be this whole different thing in the last 10 years, and I love that about the PGA. You saw Beth Page. That's essentially a U.S. Open. It's the same thing. You look yeah. at the, the score yeah. relative to par, all that. It's the same thing as U.S. Open. You look at this week, I think it skewed more U.S. Open than it did you know, PGA of America's got to be proud. That was a great championship. The that, course setup was awesome. You have rough that looks kind of like a U.S. Open, but then the greens that look like Augusta. You know, when Zach Johnson said on Wednesday that they lost the place, he, he couldn't have been more wrong. And he made the cut. Shut up, Zach. But it's just, no, they didn't. Look at it. Look it at what we watched perfect. this weekend. It was perfect. It was, And it was before the rain. It was perfect. It wasn't like the rain saved the day. No, it was fine. You had everything in this major. And again, here he is, tough as nails. I feel like he's better from 215 out than he is from 115 or 140. Yeah. It's these long shots that he hits where he just takes your soul. And now he stared down in his career the who's who of golf. Name anybody that's a big-time player in golf. John Rahm got the better of him in the Masters. But on a Sunday, chances are their name has been in second or third or he's been in the final pairing with those guys or Tiger's been three groups ahead and dominating on a Sunday at Bell Reeve. And he stared them all down, and he's beat them all. It's just remarkable the mental toughness that it takes because it wasn't like he had four lucky breaks yesterday. No, no, He had no, a couple no. of terribly unlucky breaks, fought past it. You didn't see the hemming and hawing that we I can't stand from country club golfers that around the, everywhere. They're like, oh, woe is me. The world is out to get me. You never see that, especially yesterday. That That's quintessential Brooks Kepka on the majors. Yeah, when he's at his best, he's certainly just locked in and not worried about what just happened, but rather what's about to happen. And I think that's the way he was again yesterday. You see, that's the confidence that he has, that he can hit all the shots, and he had to hit a lot of good shots yesterday. So, you know, I think, I think obviously he's a factor moving forward in these next two majors, which we know he will be. And um, he's a guy who's also a mutter. He made his move on Saturday, and you knew he would because of what I just got done describing all those times he was in Europe playing. The other thing that's crazy, if you like the younger crop players that are coming up, 
Victor Hovland had to play out of his mind and almost did. Yeah, almost he, did. He, he took a huge step forward because that's a guy who around the greens has cost himself dearly. He's also missed huge putts when he's had opportunities in these kinds of moments. And yesterday was not one of those days. He, he, he made great play, great chip after great chip uh, from tough angles, made big putts when he had to have it. One of those was even a par putt for, I think, six to eight feet, and he hit that one, which was a slippery uh, left to right, and he hit that. I mean, he, yeah, I think he grew up a lot yesterday. I think for this tournament, you look at those numbers, he's he's going to be fine moving forward. He should. It's one of those times we say it a lot. Commentators like to do this to make people feel better. Well, I know so-and-so came up short, but they ought to take away a lot from this weekend. They've really, most of the time, that's not true. Most of the time, they lament the weekend when they lose the tournament by a stroke or two strokes. Most of the time, you can think back on the Friday that you lost concentration for a moment and pulled one left and you doubled. And that double cost you the tournament. Like, those are the laments that you have in major championship golf. But this is one of those times where they could say, yeah, you, you, did, you did what you could. I mean, you ran up against it. I mean, that guy's a five-time major champion. He's not afraid. Um, it's not unlike when, you know, listen, you're going to lose when you face John Ron sometimes. You're going to lose when you face Scotty Scheffler sometimes. You're going to lose if you face Brooks Kepka or any of the great players in the world. Sometimes they're just going to play better than you. Old T. Gray did it all the oh, time. Better than all most. All the better time. Better than most. There you go. Jeff Cambridge, 93.3 Real Talk Radio War Chat. What's up, guys? Our next partner that you're going to hear from is Athletic Greens. You've heard me talk about Athletic Greens in the past. Happy to talk about them again. I take Athletic Greens every day. And I gave them a try because certainly I wanted more energy, sustained energy. I wanted to support my immune system. I don't like taking pills and vitamins per se. And I wanted something that tasted good too. And the first time I tried it, I was very surprised. Uh, it had an appreciable effect on my energy levels. And also, uh, over time, you'll note that it, uh, it helps your skin, your hair, your nails. I don't have a lot of hair, but if I did, I bet I could feel that. I bet I could tell. It's a comprehensive health uh, habit, and uh, it is a, a powerful one at that. AG1 is great for recovery. Uh, that's Athletic Greens. And uh, I, I take mine basically when I wake up every morning. I don't have to worry about it because you get all the nutrients that you want. It's the best way to ensure that you're going to get all of your vitamins. It's a carbon-neutral business, by the way, if that's important to you. It is to a lot of people, and that's good to know as well. I would also note that uh, it is a comprehensive solution to what you need from a supplement routine. Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs right now with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash JCS. Helps me out, guys, if you use that. Not financially, but it lets them know that you heard this ad on my show. And I do take it, and I am vouching for them because I enjoy their product. Athleticgreens.com slash JCS. Check it out. I think you'll note the difference in your life with a simple drink each and every morning to start your day. Athleticgreens.com slash JCS. This ain't the heart. Oh, Assy Super Regional sold out in one minute. That is not a surprise. It is yet another. I think example of, uh, of 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 how it is that that program has won the hearts of uh, Florida State fans everywhere. Understandably, uh, they're they're fun to watch play. They're endearing and they're really good. Most importantly, and they're all those things. Do you think if you were Catherine Sandercock, you think if you were Cat, that you would 
begin not she's going to go on to have a wonderful career and a successful life and do whatever she's going to do in the world but do you think throughout the rest of her time on planet earth if she had the opportunity in casual conversation she would drop in that she threw a perfect game to go to a super regional to win it to win a regional because i would i i would find a way tom early in a conversation to work that in and it would be weird it'd be awkward sometimes you'd be talking about closing on a home and your real estate agent might ask you a question about certain preferences you'd be like you know like I, I'd find a way. It would get introduced somehow. She's, you know, helping out, uh, maybe doing some some work with a young person, being a mentor. Yeah, this homework's really hard, Cat. What do I do? Well, I'll tell well, you what I did. Yeah, when I was up against it. You know what's really hard? Yeah, throwing a perfect game when you got to have it when your team scores one run, facing elimination in the regionals with all the pressure in the world on you and you alone. Coming through when you have to, that's uh that's that tells people what you're made of. And in this incident, in this situation, I was I was made of more than most. It was an incident according to South Carolina. Yeah. <laughs> it did happen to them. Upon them. Upon yeah, them it, it, right. it did occur, yeah. Against their will. Yeah. Couldn't get it out of the infield. So here's so, the deal. Get your get your homework done. Yeah. Work I don't harder. want to hear this. Uh, I threw a perfect game when I had to. Have you thrown a perfect game in a regional? No? Okay, then I don't want to hear a complaint. Yeah. Because, you know, when you do, then we can have a discussion. Because then you'll know what I was facing and what I overcame. But until that time. I, I don't see a regional around here, do you? <laughs> no, I just see math problems. Is there a circle? Let's there get is two. Yeah. Geometry. There we go. Stick to your circle. I'll stick to mine, huh? Man. Yeah, for that matter, and Dave, good point. Uh, I would talk about that hole-in-one that Michael Block made forever. Yeah. Yes, Dave, I would, too. You know, one time I was playing the PGA Championship up in Rochester, and I was partnered with Rory McIlroy on a Sunday, and you know, hole in one, it was a, it was a hell of a thing. It was uh, no, I didn't win. I finished top fifteen, but it was a uh, hole in one. Was congratulated by all, and I've got you know what? I've saved the video. Let me show you. <laughs> Would have finished twenty third if it wasn't for this. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Let me, I pull it up here. It's on It's on the YouTube. We should watch it together here. This is me and Rory McIlroy, and this is when I dunked it right here. It's funny because he didn't know he made it. I didn't it. even know I did it. You yeah. know who told me? Rory. Rory. Rory did. Yeah. Give me a hug. This is uh, the same PGA Championship where I dominated John Rahm, amongst others, Justin Thomas. And who was it? I think it was the Golf Channel desk that rattled off all the players he beat and by how many strokes. Like they listed. Well, he got all choked up when he. Um, yes, and but did you see when he you was beat asked Tony Finau yeah. by sixteen? Oh, you beat boy. Tony had a rough go. <laughs> he did. You beat Justin Thomas by eleven. You beat Jordan Spieth by four. You beat John Rahm by six. They just kept going, and you could see it wash over him. And, and he had different moments like that. Amanda Renner knocked it out of the park. Oh, man, yeah. With the question and then the revelation that it was his son who shot the video. Every, I think everybody's I, hands went on their head across the country going, oh, no, oh, my God. Oh, yeah, everybody had to get up at that point. I mean, that was pretty – I was blown away. I was like, oh, man. You know, when I when I choked up is because he said he's, he's sick. He's been sick. That's why he's oh, not here. Oh, man, yeah. Like, yeah. So it was there was an instinctive reaction. Mm -hmm. He knows what the hell's going on at home. This ain't no – Deadbeat who's living the dream. This is a family man whose son matters greatly to him. He's sick. He's out there watching with him. This is why you love sports. Like, this is one of the many reasons you love sports. That story 
it happens in sports and so rarely in any other realm. It is sports. It it's crazy. Um I really did like sometimes when something like this is happening and the media latches on to a storyline. Sister whatever her name was uh in the basket. Sister Jean? Yeah. That was annoying. Anyhow, the so, best thing was the overlay of Javi Baez and her throwing the first pitch <laughs> yeah, from the Cubs game yeah, yeah, and yeah. Javi swinging right over the top of it. That is an outstanding job, but yeah. I, I'm with you. It sullied the awesomeness of it. Yeah. It, it ruined it. Yeah. So, to me— Much like I just ruined your point. Sorry. No, no, no. My my point is, again, sometimes it can get beaten to death, or it's a storyline that's nice, it's cute, it's endearing, it's interesting, but it's not worth mentioning every five minutes. This wasn't one of those. This was worth mentioning over and over and over again and showing every shot and watching his reaction because it was genuine and you could tell he was overwhelmed. He was on cloud nine. He was fighting back tears throughout the round. Every time he hit a good shot in the gallery, went nuts. He was like, like, can you believe this is happening? I also loved on 17, he tried to pull off a shot that every one of us tries to pull off <laughs> okay. and failed miserably. Yeah. A three-wood that he's hitting out of the rough. Out of the rough, into the rough, yeah. I don't know if he hosled it or whatever. It he was did. ugly. Like, <laughs> We've all There's done Michael that. Block. Yeah. But then, did you see what happened after the round? He, yeah. He's got a sponsor's exemption to play in the oh, PGA yeah, Tour this he, Thursday. The call was incredible. Yeah. He's like, don't tell me what I think you're about to tell me. And yeah, he's going to play. Uh, this sounds like a name drop, but I was just on SiriusXM on Mad Dog with Dusty Dvorak and his uh, co-host uh, was Chris. Not the Mad Dog? No? Not the Mad Dog himself. Okay. I didn't get on there with Mad Dog himself. You would okay, have, Jeff? Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. You would have loved it. No, Chris Plank was his co-host. He, Danny, he was filling in for Danny. And anyhow, I did. Uh, he he talked about uh, this tournament, but we also talked about FSU. And actually, I'm going to be able to segue the FSU conversation because it was a lot about the college football playoff and the ACC and all these things that are you know we're always talking about. But they were bringing up the fact that th- basically the entire talking point of their audience, at least what they've heard from on Twitter and the call-ins to their show has been about Michael Block. It really has. It's not really been about Brooks or Liv or any of that other stuff. It's been about Michael Block because that was the story, and it's, it's remarkable. Well, and he was always going to be honored as the low touring pro that – or uh, sorry, not touring pro, but uh, club pro. PGA, yeah. PGA professional at the ceremony. But you just can't help but realize that as it's coming down the stretch, whether it's Brooks who closes the door – this is prior to the 16 yeah. situation with Victor – whether it was Brooks or Victor or Scotty making this miraculous comeback and finishing the job with a 62 or, or something. something like that, yeah. The crowd was still going to go more nuts at the trophy presentation for Michael Block. It didn't matter who it was and how it was. That guy won the weekend across all sports. Well, and, you know, you never, I, none of us would know how we would handle certain situations. And you, you credit him because not only does he qualify, so he qualifies so that he gets to be one of the 10 that make a go of it, right? Then he makes the cut, and he's the only one of them that make the cut. So in and of itself, that's a dream. You qualified by beating all your other PGA Tour professionals, you know. Then you beat all the ones that did qualify again, and you're the only one standing. Make the cut, which no small task. Obviously, this course played hard, and he made the cut. Now, from there... The next thing you know, you're now now we're into this I I have to pinch myself. Like how hard is it to remain focused 
when you find out you're going to be paired with Justin Rose on a Saturday, who's in contention. Justin Rose is in uh, contention and, by, and has won a major. And By definition, you are too. Yeah. So, yes, because you're paired on a Saturday with Justin Rose, you're in contention. You're not thinking about it like that. Originally, you're thinking Justin Rose is in contention. Hey, pal, there's a reason you're, t- you're paired with him. So now, now you know this. Now, how does your brain not go there? How do you not go to, what if I won it? What if I, what if I gave myself a chance to win it after today? Like, how, your brain's going to go there. So to execute those shots and to play well under those newfound circumstances, I, I think that is rather remarkable. Well, and this is where everything is relative in terms of talent, skill and you know you get to the apex of any sport it's just the one percent of the one percent that that make it that far he said that when he shot 70 the first three days this is a saturday night uh interview yeah he said i feel like i'm at a setup back home and i just fired three straight 64s which for him clearly that's the definition of exceptional right and he goes to this setup and he shoots par three straight days but he feels like he shot 64 it's cool. It's the round of his life three days in a row. And, oh, he only shot 71 the final day. You just don't see that. You were expecting an 85 at some point, and it just never came, which is incredible because he's doing everything he can to hold it together. Everything is shaking in the car. It's coming, it's coming off the road. And he gets home in plus one for the tournament, and yet that's what these guys do, and they're pissed off. If you had a, a touring pro shoots – those exact four numbers. Yeah, they're angry with themselves. They might be breaking things in their hotel room uh, after damn it's it, over. Man. Yeah. It's just how unbelievable. Good, how good they are, yeah. So I'll, I'll get into that conversation that I had with Dusty and them just because it was a, a, a national perspective on Florida State and where they're at, a national perspective of, or question about, you know, this this keeps coming up, and it's going to keep coming up. I mean, this is now, if any of us at WarChan or anybody covering Florida State or anybody covering the ACC, this is one of the first questions that come up is, yes, the whole situation with the spring meetings – at Amelia Island, but also the larger conversation about should Florida State be getting this preseason hype that they're getting. And a lot of people continue to have that conversation. We had it last week some, but every time I do one of these shows or any of us get asked to do one of these shows, it's one of the first questions. But I thought it was I, I thought it was an interesting point from Dusty. I'll tell you what that was in just a moment. Jeff Cameron Show, 93.3 Real Talk Radio and War Chant TV. Little tub talk from our friends at Pinch a Penny. Folks at Pinch a Penny are making it really easy to finally get out uh, and get a hot tub or a spa, whatever it is you've been thinking of. Pinch a Penny, I think one Tom and I over, we're thinking about buying one. Not together. That'd have, to have to be a big tub. <laughs> we, we live a, a good distance apart. It would be a huge yeah. tub. Maybe we could put it on I 10. What a tub. Difference. What a tub. See that tub by mile marker uh, 204? I saw Jeff on one end, Tom on the other. They were listening to tunes. Look at all these cars go by. (laughs) Uh, Happening right now and for a limited time only, you can get discounts and rebates of up to $5,000 plus. And here's the kicker, 0% financing for 60 months. That means you can put a new hot tub in your backyard right now for as little as $99 a month. It's a good deal. It's kind of the Alonzo morning. Nod your head right there. All right. $99 a month, you know. And that's with installation and the hot tub covers included. And that's important. I agree. So uh, this is good stuff. 
and they have got a lot to choose from. I've been to that showroom. It's massive, 12,000 square feet. So there's a hot tub for everybody. And if you want to relax and you're ready to do so for just $99 a month, go check it out. Take a look and get all the answers you need. Pinch a penny on Greer Street just off of Capital Circle Northeast. So Dusty Dvorak covers college football, does a good job. He's on SiriusXM, Mad Dog Radio, had me on today, and we spoke, and he said, and I like this about him, got to give him credit. You know, I'm not going to ask you whether they can win the ACC. I think that's a silly question. Of course they can, Jeff. Do you think they're a Final Four team? Because they're one of my picks, but I'm a little nervous now that everybody's picking them. That's kind of how we started the conversation. I thought that was interesting. I tend to take more credence with people that cover the sport nationally and travel and are asked to travel around the country to cover spring and, and fall camps just because, admittedly, I know I know what I'm looking at. I know I understand the game of college football. I know I can assess and look at you know, depth and speed and talent. But we're not in LSU's camp every day. We're not at Florida. You, know, you name your teams, right? We're here. So every now and again, you do wonder, well, am I, am what I see, and what I'm seeing is that is what I'm seeing, just the byproduct of Florida State being worlds better than they used to be, and therefore I'm excited to see a product that I know is viable, but maybe not as viable as some of these preseason predictions are, or is it that I am right to think that just looking for – overall depth of talent that four states offense is so good. The defense could be average and they will be a top four to five team. And so, you know, we ask each other these questions all the time. We talk about, you know, there are times when we talk about this team and I'll say, well, that's slower roll. We, we all do that. It's cool when you hear it nationally, when you hear guys are like, no, I, I think just based on what we've seen and based on what we know at the end of last year and based on the talent coming back and no, I think they, they, they passed the eye test. And that's another person that uh, I've talked to nationally that have said the same thing. That'd make it so, but it's nice to know that it's not just us. Yeah, there are pockets of evidence from last year that right. you would have to lean on. Uh, the offensive line success against Clemson, you know, being able to push them off the ball for outside zones, something we hadn't run to that point to much success, and we were able to do it against Clemson's front. That's a nugget of wisdom that'll let you know that when Florida State improves in the trenches off of what they had in 2022, that's important. That That's a big-time deal for college football, for offenses around the country if our offensive line was already good enough to do that, and we believe as a group, Warchant.com staff, I think we all do, that the offensive line is better than oh, it was man. last year. It's also deeper, of course. Then, all right, what what are they capable of now? And then you look at the LSU game. Granted, both teams went on their journeys after. It's the opening week of the season for LSU. We had just played Duquesne. So it's pretty much the opener for Florida State. But that we were able to control the balance of that game on both, line, both lines of scrimmage, that is very important and a good indicator of what's to come. The bad was that Florida and Oklahoma could push us around. Their offensive lines could push our defensive line around. We think we have fixed that issue, the defensive interior. Interior for sure, yeah. At And we'll see. But So there is a little bit of this and a little bit of that, but I think it's more positive than negative because we have played teams with a pulse in the trenches throughout last season, and we did some gnarly things to them, which is good. And they've only, I think, would we all agree as a staff? I don't know, but how about you and I? Would we agree the offense is better this year? More talented? Overall, just a better product? It should be? Much better. Yeah. I don't think it's really close. I mean, I think they're much better on the offensive line than they were a year ago. I think they're, just with the addition of Keon Coleman alone, much better at wide receiver. Obviously, a tight end, they've taken a transformational jump. 
you could stop there. You already know what you have in Jordan, and you already know you have a loaded offensive backfield. So you you know that doesn't just adding a difference maker on the other side, and then having tight ends and being able to keep personnel on the field and force defenses to to not be able to make changes because you're you know versatile enough, multiple enough. It changes everything about that matchup uh, week to week. So I think Florida State's offense is probably. And I said this. I think Florida State's offense will be elite this year. I think elite is the right. If you're a top ten offense, you're an elite offense. And they were borderline in most categories last year, and top fifteen pretty much across the board. However you want to line it up, that's what that offense was in terms of efficiency and productivity last year. It yeah, was better than yeah. that's great. It's funny because in the same in the same way, I didn't appear on Sirius XM today. I wasn't beamed across the world on a satellite. I was Tom talking to a mutual <laughs> friend of ours yesterday, just asking. All right, because he's a casual fan. What's going on with the football team? And I go position by position, and once I get to the second layer of the defense into the secondary, that's when you pause a little bit. But you feel very good about every other group. I mean, really confident about every other group on offense or defense. O-line, yep, quarterback, of course, receiver, even better. Running back, loaded, tight end room. What the heck is this? Look at them. Defensive interior, excellent. Defensive end. Above thin, average, thin, thin. thin, but you know the front line is is excellent. Then you get to linebackers and the secondary, and it's probably good, but you have to you have to tone it a little bit differently than everything else. Yeah, I did. Uh, you know when I when I talked about that assessment of the team and why I like them, I pointed out that it's not all roses. It's it's I think they're average at best at linebacker. They have real question marks in the secondary, so. You know, we'll see. It's a matter of how far they've come on defense as to whether or not you could call them championship level. I just think that their offense will overcome a lot of these deficiencies. I just do, especially because I think you can stop the run. So if you're going to st- – they didn't stop the run against offensive lines that had a pulse last year. So that should be the biggest difference maker this year is that Boy, they'll be able to stop the run. That was a shot across the bow from Louisville too. Remember that game? Mm-hmm. You know, obviously we all harp on in retrospect what Tate was able to do in the second half, and it was amazing. And they did get some stops as the game wore on. But early on, LSU had a certain way that they liked to run the ball. They did not. They just ran right at us. And they were able to do so alarmingly, alarmingly that night. And it just kind of continued. Fabian was the difference. Robert Cooper had one arm. You would hope now with six or seven guys that that's just simply not going to happen. Can't get here soon enough, man. That's the biggest test because you start shutting down the run game against good teams, and you get two good teams in your first four games, you'll know what this run defense is. And if it's a good run defense, you can start talking about playoff aspirations, championship aspirations, because now, obviously, you go a long way in helping your elite elite defensive end, Jared Verse, get opportunities on third and obvious to get after the quarterback. You put your secondary, which is a little green, and you know we'll see what they are talent-wise, in great positions to to jump routes on third and obvious. You get to do that because you're stopping the run and dictating terms. This is a different-looking team when that happens. They couldn't do it a year ago. No, and, and secondaries look great when a quarterback's throwing the ball right to him, but we aren't in that position that often. You know, Last year, Jared Verse was not 100%. But when you have a defensive front that is as deep near the football and in, you know upper-level talented on the outside, on the front line at least, there are going to be times where the quarterback just looks completely overwhelmed, and it's not going to be only against Syracuse or only against Virginia Tech. I think that's going to happen in every game. The question is, do you come away with the turnover? Remember, that was the challenge from Adam Fuller in spring. 
Yeah. We're putting ourselves in position to make plays. I would like to see us finish, please. And we saw that in practice. Yeah, and I, I just don't I don't know. I asked that question to Mike Norvell after a practice, and he gave me the point of emphasis and and how it is that Patrick Sertan is is trying to get these guys to think that way. But we'll see. I I, I don't know. I, I usually think just think it's a byproduct of having down and distance leverage repeatedly. There's a question in the chat from Buffalo Tom about do Cypress, Central Cypress. And that was supposed to be set it and forget it the moment that he came through the portal. And it just wasn't so but, in spring. Yeah, and but, I and I'm I'm willing to give that a pass because he's learning a new defense. And he's also been there, done that in spring yeah, how many times? Probably bored. But yeah. let's just say in fall, for argument's sake, that he looks like the player that Pro Football Focus, for example, says that he is. That also changes the math dramatically. Well, I hope it is because there was no reason to believe you were gonna have much more than average play at corner coming out of camp. You know, Renardo Green's a nice player. He's not an elite difference maker. He's just he's a starting corner for you. You thought Fentrell Cypress would come in and be a plus-plus corner for you. He didn't look like it in camp. Doesn't mean he can't be. He just didn't look like it in camp. There was really nobody else that you looked at at camp and said, well, there's the difference maker. That's the guy. No, there's no Jalen Ramsey's out there. Now, again, I mean, Jalen, that's a high bar. But I'm saying, like, championship-level teams have people that – are that kind of difference maker. We take a Samuel or a Rhodes or yes, you know yeah, something. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't see that right now, but doesn't mean it can't happen. Doesn't mean that we don't get out there in the in the fall and Ventrell kind of has a better understanding of his whereabouts and you know he's transitioned well to living here and getting to know his teammates and understanding the scheme and what the coaches want, how to play off certain guys. Yeah, I mean all of that can can absolutely happen. I don't I don't look at one spring and say, well, it's fruitless. Let me ask you about trust in Jordan Travis. Do you trust him enough that we won't have an issue trying to be multiple things at once offensively? No, I, I, I do. I, I trust him. I don't worry about it because I really like the duo of Mike Norvell and Alex Atkins. I think they put our guys in great positions to succeed. I think they understand from a game plan standpoint how to attack defenses. And I think Jordan's come a long way in pre-snap stuff. So, no, yeah. I, I really – yeah, that, it's the pre-snap yeah, stuff that'll yeah. get you into something else. Yeah, they I, I lauded just, that from before he was being a consistent thrower of the ball in the pocket. Yeah, I don't think I don't really worry about Jordan. I did prior to last year. He won me over and won everybody else over and proved me wrong and proved a lot of other people wrong. And I say, good on you, young man. That's an amazing accomplishment at that position. You just don't see a lot of guys do that to go from being one kind of player at quarterback to this whole other kind of player. But he did. And he deserves all the credit in the world for that. To the point where I just don't even – it's never on my radar. I think he's going to be fine. Our number two forthcoming. Stay with.